you know, there is this competitiveness and there's this persona that we put on as men. Like, oh man, that guy's got his shit together. He's got a big house and his wife is hot and he's got yeah. a great job. And, you know, and he looks like he's always just in a good spot, you know, and like, he must be, you know, doing everything right. And then, yeah, well, let's go really ask that guy how he's doing, you know? And I'm sure like anybody else, he's got his stuff, man. We all got our stuff. Guys like that regularly commit suicide. Welcome to Men This Way, the podcast for every man who seeks to live his deepest purpose in life, who's committed to showing up fully and giving his unique gifts to the world. Because if not you, then who? I'm your host and fellow journeyman, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Men This Way. Do you genuinely trust other men? Do you hesitate to trust your own emotions? And why do we men need to hit bottom before we're truly ready to change? On this episode, my guest, Sasha Lewis, the co-founder of the international men's group organization called Every Man, with no second E, Every Man. Well, Sasha and I mine these questions and more for useful insights to make a meaningful difference in your life. Sasha and I were recently reconnected, actually, by a mutual friend, Fabian Al-Sultani. I'd met Sasha briefly at what was probably a Grammy Awards party at uh, Fabian's house in Los Angeles years ago. And when Fabian decided to reconnect us out of the blue just a few weeks ago, I was actually surprised to learn that Sasha had co-founded Everyman. I actually didn't know that about him when I met him. Uh, because one of my men's groups, which I've been meeting with weekly for about the last two years, was based on the everyman meeting format. So it was really cool. And Sasha, uh, who's a lifelong New Yorker, he's been holed up with his pregnant wife in Brooklyn, New York, since the beginning of the pandemic. And we spoke just as New York is beginning to open back up. And although he shares some of his experience of the pandemic at the beginning of the episode, our conversation is more a deep dive into the transformative power of men's work, of learning to trust other men, even men who on the surface seem to hold completely different values than yours, of the resistance we men often experience when it comes to changing our lives, even when we're suffering. We also talk about doing the emotional literacy work required to live fulfilling lives and have fulfilling relationships, not just with another person, but with yourself. We explore all that and more. In addition to co-founding co Everyman, Sasha is a lifelong entrepreneur and consultant with extensive experience in starting and developing businesses focused on the intersection of personal growth, progressive culture, and digital media. His work has been featured in the New York Times, Today Show, Good Morning America, CNN, GQ, Vice, The Financial Times, and The Economist. I really enjoyed this conversation with Sasha, and if you have any interest in, or resistance to, personal growth work specifically for men, then definitely stay tuned all the way through to Sasha's five key takeaways at the end of this episode of Men This Way. All right. Let's dive. Sasha Lewis, welcome to Men This Way. It's an honor to have you. Thanks, Brian. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad to have you 
You and I met briefly many years ago at our friend Fabian's house. And as I shared with you in our, our warm-up conversation, when he reached out to reconnect us and told me that you also were a co-founder of Everyman, uh, well, man, I just knew I had to have you on here and, and, and wanted to do a deep dive with you. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's nice to think about our lives crossing paths and that other generation or chapter of, of yeah. the, for me, you know, very different world, uh, being part of the flavor pill mm. world that I created with others and then cultural community. And um, it's, a, it's an exciting evolution. And I actually sold flavor pill a couple of years ago and officially left last November. So it was, it was like shipping my, my child off to college or something like that, even though I've never done that before, but it was 20 years in the making. I saw that as I was just researching, getting ready for our conversation. I saw that uh, in 2019, you wrapped up your involvement with flavor pill and, but I, I'm, I'm fascinated because flavor pill was uh, and is such a a cultural. It's a, what I, what I understood. It is really a a hub of sort of cultural activity for people to come together and be be served by um, learning about what's going on in your city, all of the different cultural offerings. And here here we are in a pandemic, mm-hmm. where so many of our cities we can't even really go anywhere. I mean, how are you and your your partner holding up in this pandemic. You're right in the heart of New York. How, how are you doing? Yeah, it's been fascinating being in Brooklyn. I'm a native New Yorker. And uh, as, as Governor Cuomo says, you know, New York tough. Mm-hmm. It's definitely, it's, it runs through me in some ways. And there's part of me that's actually really proud. And uh, I, feel, I feel that sort of resilience that we come together in as New York, New Yorkers mm-hmm. to say, hey, you know what? We can get through pandemics. We can get through um, protests and riots, and you know, huge social justice issues that we're dealing with now. And uh, it makes us stronger. Right? We learn from it. Mm-hmm. We, we grow from those challenges. And so, um, it's been it's been a whirlwind these last few months. And in some ways, it's been heartbreaking. Of course, you know, we were talking about before ambulances being a norm um, in New York, and uh, probably 10x what you typically hear on a given day in New York now because of COVID and now because of the protests. And so, and my wife and I just drove into the city into Manhattan just a few hours ago and you go down, you know, Broadway where all the big stores are and everything is, is, is uh, boarded up and it's, um, it looks a little, it looks sort of like an Armageddon ghost town kind of moment. I am legend. Yeah, there's an I Am Legend vibe yeah. to it for sure. And, um, you know, there's something sort of transformative about it. I got to say it. Uh, there's part of me that actually um, is appreciative of what's happening because it's, I think, this wake-up call, this sort of, you know, collective uh, reawakening of some sort that's happening. And we're, you know, maybe we're going to sort of the darkest night of our soul as a, as yeah. a city and maybe even as a larger society and humanity. There's a reckoning that we have to face. And I'm, and I'm appreciative of that. Um, you know, being in New York my whole life, I've seen so many things and uh, I've never seen anything like this. And, uh, you know, going to your original question of how am I holding up and my partner, my, my beautiful wife, uh, Gemma is uh, almost eight months pregnant now. And so um, we've been going through that process uh, as well, which has been, you know, just another another layer to deal with, another challenge. It's also been beautiful to actually have the time to slow down 
and uh, not feeling you know busy having to go to events or check yeah. out things and see people and actually just be with each other and sort of relish in this incredible miracle of yeah of her you know incubating and growing a human yeah. inside of her boy it's girl a, do you know it's a girl girl oh. yeah so hashtag girl dad very excited about that i was yeah. there's about 30 seconds where i was a little disappointed i was like oh, i really wanted a boy really oh uh, you know just yeah yeah this idea of having a little boy and yeah um i'm 50 years old so i'm gonna have fatherhood at 50 and so recognizing that i might only have one child yeah uh, yeah and then i realized very quickly that actually having a girl sounds amazing and yeah i'm also really happy for my wife that she's gonna have a girl i feel like yeah. it's important for her and yeah it's it's meant to be right just just accepting that of course yeah well i appreciate your reveal around that because i'm my my lady and i were five years together and we're in that conversation around uh having a child i'm 46 mm -hmm. you know our friend fabian you know he's what is he 48 now i think 48 mm -hmm. 49 he just had his first child yeah seven months ago i think we actually just saw them a couple of days ago mm. Uh, beautiful baby, one of the biggest heads on a baby I've ever seen, <laughs> but gorgeous, gorgeous baby. And he's, you know, and they're, they've been so, I have another friend who just had a baby uh, who's in my, one of my men's groups just a couple weeks ago, right in, you know, May here in Los Angeles, early May had a baby right in the midst of this pandemic as well. And, but it's what, what, what I'm seeing, it's such a beautiful time. I mean, provided you navigate it in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. to create the nest, to really have the nest, stay home. I mean, Fabian and his partner, Eva, and their, their beautiful baby, Asha Moon, they have seven months. They can't go anywhere. So they just hang out in the nest and, and just do that. And uh, it's been a really, they, they've really thrived inside of that. Yeah, it's been fascinating as a New Yorker, born and bred, like it's in my blood. Like I go hard and I go fast. And even though I'm a meditator and I'm a yogi and I'm you know, somewhat of you know, I would think evolved human, I still ha have this run and gun sort of mentality. And yeah, the city came to a stop in a way that I had never seen. And I think we all collectively appreciated it. Obviously, it's horrible to see what the results are have been for, for many people. And it, you know, that is gut wrenching. And, and it's unfortunate that it takes a pandemic for us as a city and as a, as a society to slow down in the way we have. And I think it's, it's been also, you know, incredibly um, opportunistic for us in terms of just individuals and and as a community here in New York, and it's allowed us to kind of take stock and inventory of what's important. And yeah. to your point of nesting, and you know, whether it's you're you're getting ready for a child or you're just in a point in your life where you want to reflect and have some time to sort of take stock of an inventory of who you are and what you want in your life, and especially here in New York, where everyone's working so hard just to live here right and so there's already been a mass exodus i, I yeah. saw something of half a million people have already moved out of new york in um the wow. past few months and i think that that will continue um because people are just realizing like hey if i can work remotely and i don't have to hustle into new york city and pay exorbitant rents yeah why, why am i here why can't i be somewhere you know with nature and uh, uh, easier lifestyle and you know, just an economic situation where cost of living isn't so high. Yeah. So do I understand that you spent a lot of the last few months outside of the city? You said you just drove into Manhattan a few hours ago. 
we just drove in to do some errands actually um so because we're in brooklyn we we were here pretty much oh i see first, yeah it. first few months of this situation it's kind of feels like a time warp but i guess like let's yeah. say mid-march to mid-may we were pretty much here and then we've left town a few times now to go visit some friends in long island and upstate and that's been a nice reprieve to get some nature and get out of here because it is intense i mean you go outside and Everyone's got their masks on and, you know, we were the epicenter of this, this pandemic here in this country. And it was, it was just a few miles down the road. You were, we had friends working in hospitals where mm -hmm. 15, 20 people were dying every shift and they had uh, morgues set up with uh, big coolers, you know, big trucks yeah. um, because they didn't have enough room to, to bring the dead bodies. So it was as close as I've ever experienced as sort of like a, a war. Yeah torn environment since i've never been a part of a, a, a you know a, a place or community like that yeah but it's uh, devastating in some ways for sure yeah yeah well i want to congratulate you focusing on on the life that is arriving through you and your your wife on um, the little girl t uh, coming in a month she's only a month away um yeah. two months actually two months yeah and uh i, I will share well, we'll see. it's actually up to her actually so she could come <laughs> right, come right. Day she, she, she wants. come when she's ready yeah i guess I've, i heard only five percent of all babies are actually born on their on their duty okay yeah so yeah she'll come she'll come when she's yeah. ready i i myself am hoping for a little girl that's my hmm. preference but i think that's that that's really a reflection of having grown for me having grown up around women predominantly feeling way more comfortable generally speaking around women and still you know even at 46 i think still in my 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 own deep healing journey around my wounding as a man mm. um all of the the ways i rejected myself I mean, i'm getting a little deep here for a minute on on the whole baby choice thing but uh, i really see the connection that part of me that feels so much more comfortable around women even though i'm part of two men's groups i coach men i work with men i am a man i love men my, my you know so many male friends mm. uh, there's still such a, a deep wounding that i'm i myself am still on the journey of healing and my partner sylvia said i'm gonna try my best to give you a little boy you know <laughs> and i yeah. and i think that would uh, obviously you know i'd have my 30 seconds of of uh and then Okay, let's do this, life. I'm in. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, I, I want to invite our audience to get to know you a little bit more, uh, Sasha. There's a, a with this question about an early experience in your life. Something I'd love to hear a, a story. Something that happened to you or that you experienced as a as a as a young boy that really shaped your experience, who you've become as a man today. Hmm. Wow, surprisingly, I don't think I've ever been asked that question. So I definitely don't have a canned answer. Um, Great. It's, it's interesting to think about what experiences shaped who I am. It's funny, I was just actually talking to somebody, not to derail this, but I was talking to my neighbor downstairs. Now, because of social distancing, you know, we have a, a little bit of an outdoor patio. Everybody, you know, sort of talks to their neighbors much more than they would before because yeah. you can't actually interact with people. So, hey, what's <laughs> yeah. going on, man? You're yeah. over there. I'm over here. Yeah. How you doing so over got, there? Yeah. I've gotten to know my, my neighbors. I, what's that? What was that show? There was a, a TV show once where there was all friends? about. No, not friends, but the, where that it was that tool guy, that silly tool guy who used to talk to his neighbor over the fence all the time. Maybe you didn't watch it. Is that uh, Tim Allen? Yes. That guy. 
Okay. Yeah. yeah. And he never saw his neighbor. He yeah, just exactly. exactly. It's right. <laughs> that right. kind of experience. But he yeah. was saying how he does it. He says, because we're in this, this era of information overload, right? We And just consume so much information and content on a daily basis. I think the average person has more information coming to them in one day than a person did their entire lifetime 100 years ago. Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Overwhelmed. So he was saying that his dad remembers all these amazing stories, right? Like you're asking me, mm. and he can recall all these vivid memories. And he can't even remember, you know, what he did this morning for, mm. for, for breakfast, right? And it's, it is interesting to think about that because I, it's true. I don't, you know, as I think about it, like I don't have a ton of recollection of like really clear mm. moments in my life where like, <clears throat> oh, wow, that was when I, you know, really was influenced in terms of who I am as a person. Is your dad still alive? Yep. My, both my parents are still alive. And I think, you know, maybe to go at it a little bit differently, I would say going with this New York theme, right. Of for me growing up in New York, I kind of wear it as a badge of honor. You know, I, I, I playfully talk about how like I've got the six train running through my veins because I've always lived on the, the East side of Manhattan for, for so many years. And I think what New York city did for me, growing up was it really taught me and i think it's really relevant now you know in terms of it being a melting pot of cultures and societies and people where i was able to really appreciate diversity and appreciate people and feel very comfortable mm -hmm. around other humans you know men women however they identified different races yeah. creeds you know financial backgrounds i mean you know i i met people that were as wealthy as you could ever imagine. And then of course I met destitute, you know, homeless people who really struggled and you interact with them on a daily basis in different ways. And so for me, the city was like this incredible teacher, right? Where it kind of allowed me to appreciate humanity in a way where I was able to interact with it and participate in a, in a very real, you know, sort of visceral way. It really did make me in so many ways, the man I am, because I, I love to experience life with other people. Mm -hmm. I love to create, you know, whether it was with Flavor Pill when I was doing massive yoga events or big dance parties or with every man who were doing, you know, very intimate uh, gatherings and we're having you know, these incredible weekend retreats or even the groups that I'm a part of as well. I love to connect to people and I like to feel, you know, that energy and mm -hmm. New York gave me permission to do that. And it made me comfortable with pretty much any type of person you could imagine. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember being a kid growing up, I was, I was lucky enough to, I know you're a music person, so I was lucky enough to grow up in the 80s and I was a teenager in the mid to late 80s. So I saw hip hop culture come from the streets of New York and go into the clubs. And I also saw the house music and the club culture sort of world really um, sort of, you know, blossom from this underground thing. And so, you know, for example, going to hip hop clubs where I was the only white guy or me and my buddy were the only white guys in a, in a club, you know, and being able to sort of see myself in that juxtaposition of being a, a minority, right. you know, in a community and be welcomed and feel connection and feel like, Hey, you know, we're all just are passionate about this music and this, this, this community and, and what it meant. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just really honor the city um, for how it, shaped me and sculpted me in that way and gave me permission to to be 
authentic, you know, in that sense yeah. of like really like, Hey, this is who I am. And this is what I connect to and appreciate people for who they are. And, and I've always been drawn to like people who are different, you know, like I'm actually less interested in hanging out with people that are like me. I kind of yeah. get the word. I'm sort of like, okay, well, I've heard that story. I know that guy. <laughs> like, I want to hear about somebody who has had a very different experience and has a different mindset about life and what that, that means to them. Um, so I think that is because of you know, the, the melting pot of New York City. It's really helped me just appreciate the nuance of, of humanity and who we are as individuals. Yeah, I, I, I can really relate to that almost on the opposite side in the sense that I grew up in suburban Maryland in between Baltimore and Washington in the suburbs in a, in a, a sort of a planned town, Columbia, Maryland, mm. which was, was created just like not even 10 years before I was born, intended to be racially integrated. We had blacks, whites, Asians, probably Indians. I mean, all, I had friends of all varieties, but the thing is it was still very homogenous. Mm. It still was very just middle-class really white culture, I would say, that that happened to have black people and Asian people and Indians in it, but it still was predominantly white culture. And then I went to a technical school, uh, Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, five men for every woman, overwhelmingly white. Um, then I went into the military. Again, like talk about just conformist, homogenous mm. society. When I was 26 and got out of the military, Sasha, I was starving for a diverse experience in the people I hung. I was starving for it. Mm. I was dying to know gay people. Let me meet <laughs> a gay person. And I probably met plenty of gay people in the military, but they weren't sure. allowed to be out at that time. You know, yeah. <laughs> I was starving. Yeah. So I think so much of my life since the military at 26 has been a quest for experience that is unknown to me heretofore, you know, so the yeah. fact that you grew up with that is, um, I I'm envious in a sense, you know, that's why I live in LA though, to, to have that experience over and over and over again. And my partner, she's from Saudi Arabia. Uh, she's Armenian, you know, mm. never dated American women really. So mm. anyway, I, 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 I'm envious of you, man. It's fantastic to hear that, you know, that, that description of New York, I never really considered that. Yeah, I appreciate it. I've thought about it a lot. My dad is a native New Yorker. He's lived, he's 85, he just turned 85. And he lives in the same apartment that I was born in. Wow. Um, so 50 wow. plus years he's been there. He's a, he's a real New Yorker um, yeah. through and through. And yeah. uh, he, he's, he, he kind of passed the, you know, the baton to me in that sense of like, Hey, New York is this amazing place. And He's, a, he's an educator and a teacher and a writer and a lover of culture and a lover of New York. And so he really allowed me that permission to say, hey, go, go experience New York, you know, and, and embrace it. Every, I remember as a kid, I would, you know, be that typical like 12-year-old where like, dad, I'm bored and, uh -huh. you know, there's nothing to do and I just want to watch TV. He'd be like, are you kidding me? Yeah. This is New York City. Yeah, you can do literally anything <laughs> you want to do. Right, right. Like, don't ever give me that nonsense. He's like, you know, go out, go to a museum, go to the park. You know, go walk down the street and bump into somebody and see what happens. I mean, obviously, it's not that idealistic because you know New York is also, especially back then in the seventies yeah. and eighties, uh, you know, it was a different city. It was not always safe. You know, depending on where you were and what you were getting into. So, yeah. you, you know, you have you have your armor up you know, um, for sure as a city kid as well, but certainly from a cultural perspective and 
you know, community and being able to connect to people. It's, it's, it's incredible. I'm really curious about your evolution in the men's work space. As I said, I'm 46 and I didn't really start waking up to my, my, my loneliness, I would say, mm. um, and my hunger, my need, I'll just say need to gather with men regularly. I, you know, maybe seven, eight years ago, my late thirties, how did that really come alive in you? How did you know that gathering with other men specifically mattered, was important? Hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think uh, not dissimilar to you, I was a, somewhat of a late bloomer in sort of this uh, work that we're all doing and kind of getting more into in touch with myself and being self-reflective. You know, for a long time, I was just a thrill seeker. I was actually, I call myself a, a, an original bro, you know, like, cause I was before there were bros mm. um, for those sort of was used as a categorization. You know, mm. I was that guy. Like I love to play sports. I used to gamble a lot. I used to go to Vegas and Atlantic city on a monthly basis and, you know, be a delinquent in that sense. And, um, you know, I just was a, going to clubs and partying and smoking a lot of weed and just having a good time. You know, I was a nice guy. I was, I was, I wasn't, uh, you know, difficult in terms of having to get along with, but it was all just about kind of filling my tank of getting, getting my thrill on. The party. Yeah, the party guy. And so for me, it was at a point where I, I sort of ran out of gas in that sense. And, and I went hard, you know, but it was like, this is just not fulfilling. This isn't feeling right. I, I, when, know, when, did that, when did that start to hit you? So not dissimilar to you, probably in and around my maybe like early to mid thirties mm. and sort of my kind of awakening, if you will, from a spiritual perspective and sort of self-reflective perspective was doing yoga. Mm. You know, I did yoga for actually a woman that worked for me invited me to go to a Bikram yoga class. And she's like, Hey, I think you really like this because mm. I was an athlete in college and I love to go to the gym and, you know, get my sweat on. And so she's like, come check this out. And I did it. And I just remember feeling this like, yoga high right and especially with Bikram with all this sort of like cathartic sweating and kind of yeah. you know really gutting it out you know, I, I actually experienced a yoga hate when I did Bikram the yeah. first time I was like this feels like wrestling practice why would I do this <laughs> myself <laughs> but I yeah. Like, yeah, yeah yeah it's not for everybody and I totally get it and I only lasted in Bikram for about six months I went okay. really hard yeah uh, and then uh, a woman actually that I was dating, she's like, hey, you know, maybe you want to try some other types of yoga. And she took me to uh, a yoga class at a studio that I ended up practicing for about 10 years at yeah. called Vera Yoga and a teacher by the name of Elena Brower. I know um, Elena, yeah. Who's a wonderful human. And she became my teacher for quite a long time. And then we became collaborators and she's a dear, dear friend of mine. So yeah, in and around that that 30s, mid 30s range, I sort of had that aha moment with yoga. And I started realizing like, hey, man, you know, there's, there's a lot going on inside of you that you're not dealing with. But I didn't have the language or the tools it wasn't something that I really was aware of, like, wow, I got to go do this inner work. It was just more of me finally slowing down and kind of connecting to myself outside of this external persona and this New York City guy and kind of, you know, club cool dude that has this company called Flavor Pill that's all about culture. You know, I kind of lived through that identity and it just wasn't working. Like I wasn't happy. And so 
doing yoga, starting a meditation practice. Then I got into five rhythms. I'm not sure if you're familiar with five rhythms. I am. Yeah. I've done five rhythms practice. Static dance. And Mm -hmm. I got to, um, I got into that community and that actually was, uh, was actually really important to me because I loved dance culture. Like I love clubs. I love DJs, but I was getting so tired of the druggy kind of Mm -hmm. like low vibration of that. Mm -hmm. And so I got five rhythms and I was like, Oh wow, I can dance as hard as I want. And I can, you know, kind of be in this container of people that are here to kind of let it all out and, you know, support each other. And it was much more of a, a deeper spiritual experience. And that really, you know, opened me up. And actually the first time I ever heard about men's work was through somebody in that community. Mm-hmm. And he introduced me to it and said, Hey, you should come check out our men's group. And I was like, that sounds weird. I'm not really into right. that. I'm good. You know, I'm cool. Right. Like yeah. I got my shit together. Um, and then he would, you know, consistently remind me over time. And then at one point it was just like, I got through a tough breakup and I was like, all right, let me go check this thing out. Mm-hmm. And I went to a group and it's called the brotherhood. Um, and it's actually the group I'm still in. Um, so this is now like 10 years ago and it just clicked. It was like, Oh yeah, this is exactly what I need. I need guys challenging me and supporting me. I need to be held accountable. I need to be able to see other men, yeah. um, not from a point of confrontation or competitiveness, but you know, from an allyship and being able to have vulnerability with them and being able to recognize that some of these guys that look like they've got their shit together are just as wound up or confused yeah. or you know neurotic or fearful as I am and giving yourself permission to know that you're not alone, right? You're not this lone wolf because that's the sort of mentality I had for so long um, and be able to have a tribe of men that support you um, and you know that brethren right that we all yearn for I think is I think it's just part of being a human right and I think maybe even more so in in men there's this tribal nature there's this this sense of having men to you know growl with and compete with and to to go to battle with and of course you know to nurture and to love and to connect to um, so it it was it was very clear from the minute I kind of jumped into that arena that along with yoga and meditation was sort of like the perfect, you know, spiritual cocktail, if you will. And it's, yeah. uh, been, it's been my practice ever since. Man, you've said a, a number of things there that I want to kind of uh, unpack a little bit. But the, the last thing that you said, this having this, this group to kind of growl with, be competitive with, be, I find that when, when, when I haven't had that with other men, I would tend to try to use my intimate relationships for that. And that never went well. (laughs) (laughs) It never went well. And, and nor could I see this a lot in men. Um, I've never fancied myself a businessman, although I have my own business and uh, I'm succeeding with it in a way that feels good to me, but I've never fancied myself as that, you know, I'm going to, put that growl into business and, and mm. conquer the domain of business, whichever. And I, I see a lot of men do a lot of harm in that space too, when just that, to get that competitive, that, that drive to, to conquer. That's a beautiful aspect of our, of our maleness, if you will. Mm-hmm. And yet I think without men's groups, with these containers where we do this intentionally with each other and it, there's not like a point to it, you know, necessarily, mm-hmm. but other than to express our maleness in a, in a safe, constructive ways. Yeah. I'll just use my intimate relationship for that. For me, in my case, it's my intimate relationship or I don't, I, I don't or, or I'll just go to porn, right? you know, or I'll do something that to, to get it out of me 
that doesn't serve whatsoever. Right. Yeah. You got to have a healthy valve, right? And a healthy place to release. And I think from a cultural and social perspective, men have not been given permission to do that. You know, we're we're of the same generation. Gen Xers, like, you know, we were, we were built on hip hop and pop culture and celebrity and, you know, sort of macho male um, personas. And there was none of this conversation about how do you in a healthy way communicate your emotions. Uh, this, this, this was not part of this, the, the narrative growing up. And I grew up in New York City in a very you know, open-minded, progressive city, which you've already talked about. I have you know, liberal parents. Um, both of them are you know, do-gooders and do amazing things in the world. And still, even with that, just, there wasn't the tools and there wasn't the conversation around that. And yeah, I realized when I got into men's work that I was really fucking angry actually. And I never, I wanted to always be the nice guy Mm. and the cool guy. And, you know, I would completely suppress that, those emotions and that behavior. And of course, to your point, then it came out in unhealthy ways. Like in my intimate relationships, I would try to release that. And the women in my life were, were scared of that. And rightfully so didn't feel protected, didn't feel safe around it because it wasn't healthy the way I was communicating. And I didn't have it. It wasn't controlled. It wasn't, coming from a place of, you know, vulnerability or from a place of connectedness. It was coming from a place of rage and disconnection. And so those things very quickly unraveled. And actually the first few years of my men's work were quite ugly in some ways, you know, in terms of really kind of opening (laughs) box of things that I had suppressed for so long and, and realizing like, wow, I'm actually not, that happy. I'm actually kind of pissed about life and I'm, I don't really like myself. And, you know, and I'm not really that comfortable with other men. I am at a level of talking about, you know, business or culture right. or, yeah. you know, kind of things that are superficial and things that I felt comfortable shit with. Shit. Right. But in terms of actually going deep and really talking about my feelings and, you know, being vulnerable and being authentic, those mm-hmm. were things that I had never really experienced. And so it took me quite a while to kind of get comfortable in that space. And I really appreciated my group because my group called me out on it. They're like, you're not as happy and as cool as you think you are, you know, Mm. behind that persona, there's an angry, (laughs) you know, fearful guy, you know, and now being able to express my anger in healthy ways, being able to own my own, you know, fear and anxiety and move through them in a way where it empowers me as opposed to, you know, holds me back and doesn't give me permission to be who I am. I'm so grateful for it, but it's a process, you know, for me, at least it was, I mean, I've seen, you know, everyone has their own, their own their journey own cadence and their own journey. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But for me, it could, took quite some time to go there and to feel comfortable in that space. And I think a lot of it is like, you know, deprogramming ourselves right from 35, 40 years of being, you know, subtly and, not so subtly and consciously and subconsciously fed all of these different narratives and you know, all these different sort of personas that we're supposed to be. And, you know, certainly all this stuff blew up, right. With, with the toxic masculinity hashtag and me too, and all those moments. And, mm-hmm. you know, with every man, we started about six months prior to me too. Mm-hmm. And it was fascinating to watch when we first started doing every man, you know, a lot of guys were sort of like, what is this? And this is mm. weird, but I'm open to doing it, but don't tell anybody yeah. I'm doing mm. it. You know, it's kind of like, let's, let's not really bring this out in the open. Yeah. 
And then as soon as toxic masculinity and, and Me Too, really Me Too was, you know, obviously the catalyst to that, it very quickly became like, wow, hey, I'm a guy and I don't have these tools and I need to, I need yeah. to up-level my game and I don't want to be the toxic masculinity guy. I don't want to be the asshole. I don't want to be someone who's disconnected to their emotions. And like, how do I actually do that? You know, someone's got to train me to do that. And like, yeah. you know, this is a muscle. I, I, I don't even know where it is. And like, you know, I'm like a second grader in this, in this language and in the skill set. And so giving, giving guys permission to go ahead and do that and start from wherever they're at and to learn these skills just same way I did the same way in the beginning, you know, I was in denial and didn't think it was something I really needed. And then I kind of, you know, slowly graduated from, you know, maybe from being a second or third grader to, I don't know, maybe I'm a college student now or something, you know? Well, it, well, well, you also said that you went through a breakup, you were going through a breakup. Yeah. And this is one of the things that I also experience a lot is that we men only come to not only, but generally speaking, most men tend to, finally be willing to step outside of themselves and and gather whether even whether it's seeing a therapist or working with a coach or doing a men something when we've hit a bottom absolutely yeah because for men right i mean we're classic avoiders right and i mean of course i'm generalizing and everybody's different and there's some guys that really you know step up and deal with things head on and before you know the symptoms become so overt to your point of like, oh my God, my life's falling apart, you know, I'm getting mm -hmm. divorced or my business is falling apart or, you know, I've injured myself really badly because I'm not taking care of myself physically. But typically it takes like a big life moment and a lot of times something that's not so positive in our lives to realize like, hey, this isn't working. Like I'm not happy. My life isn't where it needs to be. I'm physically unable to be the person I want or emotionally or mentally, whatever, whatever that call out is. But then I think it becomes clear, like, yeah, I need to, I need to check in. I need to do the work on myself. Well, we're, well, we're taught, we're taught also that, that I'm the one that's supposed to figure this out. Right. Nobody's got my back. That's one of the things that really surprised me as I started doing this work many years ago is I thought I had to heal my relationship with women because I had a, just so many imploded chaotic relationships with women through my adult life, it blew my mind that I actually had to heal my relationship with men, mm -hmm. that I didn't trust men. I didn't trust men to have my back to, you know, I got two fathers and they're both good men at heart, but neither one of them were able to really show me how to live a good life. Yeah. And then I went into the military and that experience, that sort of that sh shadow, the, mm. the shadow masculinity that I experienced there. I didn't have that language for it then, but it was very much a, a sort of a, you know, the tyrant side of masculine expression comes out in the military. You just do this or else doesn't matter what you feel about it. Feelings don't matter. It's all about the outcome and not the outcome that your heart wants, but the outcome that our policies tell you you need to serve or one president or one whatever, man, I, and I, I said this earlier in our episode about uh, our conversation about uh, having a child, having a child, boy versus girl. Mm. I see those wounds deep in me that there's like a loathing towards men that mm. I still harbor. I mean, I look mm. at, I've got three sisters. Mm. I, I see what they went through, what they've gone through, still go through at the hands of men in the world. I mean, I, I it's just, man, Ooh, yeah. I think 
that's been one of the great, great gifts for me in my own journey of men's work is being held, learning to be, to trust other men. Absolutely. And, and be held in a way by other men and be vulnerable. You've said it a few times, be vulnerable around other men. And it's like, for me, one of the great gifts is, oh man, I don't have to do this alone. Right. Yeah. One of the biggest responses, I appreciate you being so open and honest about all that too. And sort of this just PTSD that you've dealt with and trauma, you know, that's the thing, right. And Owen Marcus, one of our founders talks about micro traumas a lot. Right. And like for guys, like I'm fortunate. And that sounds like you have in some ways, like, yeah, my father was an incredible man. He's super loving, beautiful person. I, I don't, it, there's some men that go through horrible yeah. trauma, right. Sexual trauma, abuse, whatever it may be. Um, and it's, it's horrifying. The things I've heard in our retreats where guys tell me yeah. things and I, I, my jaw drops, my heart sinks. I don't even know how to respond because I can't fathom what that must feel like and the, the burden to deal with that. And then as a man where you've got to suppress that, that and you don't have a healthy place to actually you know, deal with that, whether it's going to a therapist or working with a group, like those things were not you know, available to us in our generations. And I think, you know, just to your point of being able to give us as men permission to say, Hey, I'm not, you're not alone. And like, you don't have to figure this out. In fact, you can't figure it out on yourself, on your own, right? It's not possible. You don't have the tools, you need the support and we're here to support you. And we're here to, we've got your back. Right. And Hey, by the way, like I can have empathy for you and I can be compassionate for you because maybe I haven't had the same experience, but I've had similar experiences. Or maybe there's a guy in our group or a guy that we know that has experienced that. And then of course, you know, that connection is even deeper, right? Because there's, there's a real shared experience there. And I think, yeah, just realizing that for men, we're not lone wolves, right? And we don't, we're actually pack animals, right? And like, we need, we need our brothers and our sisters, you know, we need people to support us and we need to be able to be vulnerable and we need to be able to share in that way. And it's not, the burden is not on us only to, to, yeah. you know, to fix ourselves, right? Um, it's so huge. And to know that there's other men that have same struggles too, right? Because I think when we go out there, you know, there is this competitiveness and there's this persona that we put on as men. Like, oh man, that guy's got his shit together. He's got a big house and his wife is hot and he's got yeah. a great job. And, you know, and he looks like he's always just in a good spot, you know, and like he must be, you know, doing everything right. And then, yeah, well, let's go really ask that guy how he's doing, you know, and I'm sure like anybody else, he's got his stuff, man. We all got our stuff. Guys like that regularly commit suicide. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, the Anthony Bourdain's, the Robert Williams, right? There's tons, all these, you know, athletes in the military community, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's horrifying to see that. And yeah, it's because we're not, guys aren't allowed to express their emotions, you know, like around yeah. to talk about how much they, they hurt and how, yeah. how sad they are, how angry they are. Yeah. And it's, yeah, this is a, you know, it's a mental health crisis. This is as serious as it gets. And, you know, as a white man, you know, dealing yeah. with the current, yeah. Yeah. social issues that we are dealing with like we're we are at the top of the totem pole and we are at the core of the problem you know and it's up to us to show up and yeah. to you know to evolve and to be the models that we're capable of being and to you know own our shit own what we've done wrong and step into a place yeah. of vulnerability and a, and, a, and a place of compassion and a place of empowerment yeah. for ourselves and for others and it's a critical moment in our you know in our humanity 
Yeah. And it's, uh, it's an incredible opportunity. And I think, you know, I'm hopeful because things like Everyman and things like Mankind Project and, mm-hmm. you know, all the other guys that are doing this stuff and people like yourself who are doing more one-on-ones, like there is a, this language, this conversation is now becoming contemporary. It's becoming in some ways almost like cool, right? Like if you're a guy, you're a woke guy, right? The fact that the hip hop culture and the athletes of the world are now saying, hey, you gotta be, you better be woke, right? You better be self-aware and like, hey, it's okay. Like Jay-Z said a couple of years ago, the, the bravest thing a man can do is cry. Yeah. You know, like for someone like Jay-Z, at the level of his cultural authority and in, especially in the hip hop community, yeah. to be able to come out and say that, yeah. it's, it's, it's giving men permission to really embrace their full spectrum of who they are, right? The emotional, the intellectual, the physical, because men do incredible things, yeah, yeah. Um, but we also create incredible harm because we, we haven't had the ability to express ourselves emotionally. Now we're giving yeah. permission to do it. And now even more, this, everything that's going on is this huge catalyst for us to really jump into this, um, you know, this, this whole new paradigm of who we are. And by the way, giving permission for every man to do it, right? Giving permission to the, for the military community, which you're a part of, mm-hmm. giving permission for the black community and men of color, the transgender community, right? And that's part of what we're really passionate about doing at every man. And we've done a crap job of it, to be really honest. Like we, we've really been passionate about it, but we haven't gotten to a place where we've really allowed all those communities to come in. Last night, we actually hosted our first uh, men's global call we do a global call every week and we did it for just black men and we had it led by a couple of our facilitators who are black mm-hmm. and i'm so proud of the work that we did and we had 25 guys show up you know mm-hmm. usually we have 100 or 200 guys show up for ours we had 25 because that community has not yet felt welcome to this mm-hmm. type of work and it's fine this mm-hmm. is the first step yeah. of what we hope will be a big movement because this is part of the healing right where we can all get into a circle and we can share and we can talk about yeah. what we feel about race and the, the anxieties that we have and the, you know, the, the hangups and the things that we are angry about, the things we don't understand. And we can communicate honestly and open because obviously all the policy has to happen and all the systems have to change. But also at a human level, we have to be able to interact one-on-one and from a community perspective with, from a place of authenticity, from a place of compassion, a place of understanding. And the only way we do that is if men can actually communicate in a full spectrum way, right? Not just from an intellectual way, but from an emotional intelligence perspective as well. Yeah. Yeah. One of the groups I'm in, two men's groups, one of the groups that I'm in, um, we communicate every day via uh, this Marco Polo app. So it's all video, basically a video, video oh, yeah. chat. I know Marco Polo. It's yeah, been an great. incredible tool for us. And, and in this group, there's, uh, there's 13 of us, five men are uh, black. Uh, I think seven of us are white and we have one Asian and we have great mix. It's incredible. We have, you know, we have an, we have a white A-list celebrity in that group. So top of his game, money, privilege, Mm. I mean, privilege of white, he's the privileged of the white privileges, you know, the 1% of the 1%. Yeah, totally. (laughs) And we have, you know, we have a black man running a nonprofit organization in South central LA. Mm. Um, and we got, you know, we've, we've have such a spectrum and it's been one of the most profound conversations that I've been in. I mean, we've been doing this group for about a year now and just in the last, well, since, since George Floyd's death mm. and well, even Ahmaud Arbery, 
really the conversation got ignited in our space and our group. We have a we have a a former white uh, well he's still white but he's a former cop in the group. Mm. Wow. Um, Great group. Yeah, man. We have uh, a, a man who's a, who's a combat veteran mm. who works with first responders mm. doing emotional resiliency training. It's a, it's a badass fucking group. Yeah. And you know, I'm a veteran. It's fantastic. And the conversation, I think this has been, it hasn't been comfortable. It hasn't been right. easy. It hasn't been there. It's been charged. There's, you know, we're all bringing these different perspectives and views, but it has always been respectful. Mm. And that, because I think that's the beautiful gift of this, of this, of this kind of space when we come together is I, I think I, I look at it like this, Sasha, you know, I'm really touched by the stories of of the old hunter gatherer days where where when the men would go out hunting we'd go out in groups you know we didn't it wasn't on my shoulders to to catch the antelope or whatever we were all in it together and if I wasn't the one whose spear pierced the antelope that's fine my family would still eat mm. in this day and age my family doesn't eat if I don't catch the antelope yeah and the burden of that is unbearable at times and and the suppression that then happens in my body because it's all on my shoulders to succeed to feed my family to that everything that the world be held together like that's the psychology anyway it's not the reality so much i mean but but that's our culture it's very independent minded right mm-hmm. and what i find, what i've experienced in these men's groups and and even in this a diverse group like like what we have and with all these strong perspectives and opinions and but done respectfully it's like it's like what i what i experience is we really get to see how we're all on each other's side ultimately we're all Mm -hmm. hunting together in a sense what are we hunting it's like in a men's group we're hunting like the the ultimate truth Mm -hmm. whatever the hell that is Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) the ultimate we're solving the world's problems and that's never going to happen but the camaraderie in that the way that we both challenge each other that we stand up not just to each other, but for each other mm. is it, there's no words for it. And what I feel in my own nervous system, it's like, wow, I am not in this alone. I am this hunt for the ultimate liberation, freedom, truth, whatever. Like, oh man, I can relax. Yeah. Even despite the, the charge, sometimes charged atmosphere. So it speaks to something so primal inside of me. And on top of that, we get to have these charged racial inquiries. Yeah. And so I think here's one thing I'd love to, to check in with you about. Um, there's so much, there's so many directions we could go with this. And we brought up something really important right now with the racial mm-hmm. uh, disparities, the racial conversation. And I don't want to gloss over that, but I, I, I'm curious because my partner said something to me. She's, she's reflected this back on me a number of times. She's like, you know, Brian, when you're in, when you're consistently with your men's group, you're you're different. Like you feel lighter, you feel more relaxed, you feel more playful. You feel. I wonder what difference do you are you aware of, Sasha, that doing this work has made for your marriage, for your relationship with your partner? Yeah, it's a great question, and I think my partner would probably say the same thing that it's. It's given me the language to communicate my feelings in a healthy and honest way. And for so much of my life in relationship, I was selling, you know, I was giving bits and pieces of the truth and I was always 
sort of navigating what would be best for me in avoiding the difficult things or the things that were going to make maybe trouble in the house or things that I didn't want to have to deal with. So I was constantly kind of negotiating the truth and it was a convenient way to avoid having to really feel my own feelings, have to say things that maybe made me felt feel uncomfortable, you know, avoiding conflict is a classic trait of mine. And I think of a lot of guys, you know, especially like sure. the nice guys. Um, yep. It sounds like you might be one of those. Um, yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. And, um, and it's, you know, it's our survival mechanism, right? This is our way of us. Okay. We don't know how to communicate this in a healthy way. So I'm either going to do it in a really healthy way, unhealthy way and get myself in a whole bunch of trouble, or I'm going to speak half truths, right? And, and hopefully I can kind of consistently get away with that enough so that my partner, you know, stays around. But women in particular, and again, generalizing here, but I think women in particular, they have this innate ability to sniff out the BS, right? And they know- It's spooky almost. It's, yes. Yeah. And actually, by the way, I think it's in all of us, right, but they've yeah. just cultivated it and been given permission and, and maybe- God for it. Yeah. And it's, it's great, right? Because it allows them to say, hey, wait a minute, you know what? I don't trust you. And that's ultimately when our partners typically start to move away from us, right? Like mm -hmm. they sniff it, they smell it, they feel it, right? Yeah. They're like, hey, okay, maybe I can kind of buy what you're saying, but I don't feel connected to you. So like, I don't want to be intimate with you. I don't want to go deeper with you. I don't trust you, right? And eventually it fades and you know, no longer becomes a, a valid relationship. And I think, so for me, that's the number one skill that I've been able to learn. And I've gone through my wife now that I'm um, with now for almost, we've been together for almost four years now and we have this, this birth, you know, coming in August, we have gone through, it feels like lifetimes in our relationship. And we have had so many tumultuous moments and we've learned an incredible amount from each other. And we've had so many gifts from that because we've, we've been able to be honest. And it's not easy for me. I still sometimes when things get, when shit really hits the fan and it gets really intense, there are times when I want to cop out a little bit and sure. just like, yeah. like a 90% truth. And she's always like, wait, wait, mm. wait, what is that really what <laughs> you mean? And she'll call me out on it and yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. And by the way, my men's group does the same thing because yeah. they smell it and they feel it too. Yeah. Yeah. You can see when I get salesy and I start to get too hyped up and mm. it feels like I'm speaking over something. Right. And yeah. they're like, Hey Sasha, it feels like that's that place you go because mm you're uncomfortable, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's uncomfortable to talk about your fear, or for me it is at least, it's about my fear, you yeah. know, or my anxiety, or the things that I maybe I'm failed uh, in my life, you know? I don't, I don't, I've learned to appreciate them more, and I've learned to, at moments when I'm really confident and really calm, to actually revel in them, because I know there's so much knowledge within there, you know, to say like, oh, okay, this didn't work. Why didn't it work? What was the behavior? You know, how can I learn from that? How can I let go of the need to be successful or to win or to have it work out the way I want it to? You know, there's all those lessons there. It's so rich yeah. in that material, but you have to be willing to look at it and you have to be willing to own, you know, what that brings up. And so for me, that within that relationship that I have with my, my partner and with my community and with the men that I work with and the men that I sit in my group with, you know, that, that has been the number one 
lesson. Yeah. Is that it just, you know, at the end of the day, to your point of truth, right? It's like, what are we after? We're after this truth of self, right? This knowing, yeah. know thyself, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's that authenticity. It allows you to actually be who you fucking are, you know, not who you perceive yourself to supposed to be or, you know, what you, somebody else wants you to be but actually just to be yourself. Yeah. And that's, I think, what we're all looking for. And uh, it's, it's a journey to get there. And this, this work has helped me, not to say that I've reached it. I'm not an enlightened being. Of course, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I fall off the track every day, right? Yeah. But I know how to get back on track and to find myself and to own those missteps and to learn from them because of this work that I've been able to do over the last you know, 10, 15 years. So for a man who's waking up to the importance of this and who's like, okay, all right, I'm enrolled or I'm, I've been feeling the call, <laughs> but he doesn't know where to look or where to even begin. What, what do you suggest? Get into a group, just go to a men's group. I mean, obviously every man is one of those places. I'm proud of the work we do. We call it every man for a reason because we want to make it accessible to all men. You know, we are a work in progress in that way, but we, from an ethos perspective, from a, the way which we set up the, the organization and the business, like we are here to serve all men. And it's easy enough. You can literally just go to our website and you can sign up for what we call a drop-in group, a dig, and you can go on a Zoom call for one hour and you can just mm. feel this experience. And we've heard, you know, resoundingly that guys that do that, to your point of like these newbies, these guys that are on that edge, I mean, it's incredible sort of the transformation that happens within a 60 minutes of the conversation from looking at the guy in the beginning who looks terrified and really you know, tight and sort of pent up to hearing that, that person at the end of a 60 minute conversation being like, wow, I never knew I could yeah. feel like this. And mm, I can't, I, yeah. you know, I want to talk to these guys every day and I want to, I want, I need this in my life. So, you know, just taking that, that extra step, getting out of your comfort zone, right. And saying, okay, this is something I'm open to doing. It, maybe this is, and maybe men's work isn't the right thing. Maybe it ends up being something else, but I do think yeah. in this moment in time in particular, this type of work is so essential for men. And it's something that I'm excited that it's being somewhat sort of, you know, normalized. It's not this esoteric, you know, yeah. Esalen, Northern Cali, you know, sort of new age hippie sort of thing. Gather in the woods. Yeah. I mean, and I'm all down for loin cloths in the woods and, you know, getting, <laughs> getting, yeah getting woo -woo. Good times. I think it's all good, but we know the vast majority of men, as soon no, as there's, yeah. there's one degree of that, yeah. that's the easy way for them to say, Oh, that's not for me. Yeah. That's not cool. I don't do that. That's, you know, that's whatever it is that's soft. You know, you can say all the different things that they would go on in their head around that. Totally. And so, you know, part of it, it's like, Hey, we got to bring all these guys in. We got to bring in the guys that are, are actually, you know, hurting the most and are easily, opting out of something like this and say, Hey, it's okay. You know, in fact, like this is, we want you because you can teach us too. Right. Like I had, before I had done this men's work, I had, you know, to your point about being in the military, I I'm a liberal New York kid. Right. Like I didn't know anybody in the military. None of my mm -hmm. friends joined the military. Like that was not a world I knew of. I mm -hmm. judged that community of people that were, you know, warmongers or yeah. you know, like, you know, just total, you know, macho dudes. And then I met these guys in the military in, in our retreats and I was blown away, you know, yeah, crying totally. with these guys, hearing these guys' yeah. stories, recognizing these guys are fucking heroes, right? And what they're 
the, their willingness, and you know this, your willingness to be able to go out there and put your life on the line to, to, you know, for something that you believe in in a country and support that, like, that's, that's so admirable. And I realized I had, had you know, this completely this complete misunderstanding of who these men were. So, yeah. that was, you know, a huge awakening for me as well. And I mean, you think about it in terms of race, you think about it in socioeconomic status, you start to bring all these men together and we realize like, hey, we're actually so much similar than we are different. You know, it doesn't matter. Absolutely. Life experiences you've had, you know, whatever the experiences, who you are, right? You know, gay, straight, black, white. Sure, those all have factors on your, how you've been, in the world, right, and how what you've experienced, but at the end of the day, we're all humans, right? We're all just trying yeah. to figure this out, live our truth, right? Well, well, even even like in my group, you know, I'm a white guy. I have I've experienced one sort of that I that I could identify racially discriminating moment when I was just asked to leave a gas station that was in a neighborhood outside of DC. I wasn't mm. even asked. I was told it's not safe for me here. And when I was like 18, that's it, man. That's like the one sort of racially discriminating moment I think I've experienced that I was aware of in my lifetime. Other than mm. that, other than that, you know, I don't know racial discrimination. And hearing right. from my the friend the the brothers in my group who who have lived that from birth, I'm able to experience their anger, hearing their stories. I'm able to empathize, to experience. If I was just on the outside, you know, looking at Black Lives Matter going, well, I don't really understand what all the fuss is about. I mean, you know, I can, it's like the, without that sort of exposure to, right. to other men, like you just said, without knowing the military, if I hadn't been in the military, I would have adopted the same type of attitude towards military folk. And yet having been in the military, having worked with, with 20, 25 year veterans seeing their heart, seeing their heartache, seeing mm. their longing. Same with, with my, my, my beautiful black friends, black men in my group, seeing their rage, their hurt, their suffering because of, holy shit, man. It just, it inspires me into humility. It inspires mm. me into brotherhood that it's just, I, it's just not accessible any, in any other way that I'm aware of. And so I, Absolutely. I love that inspired to humility. I'm going to, I'm going to use that if I can. Use it. That's great. Please. Cause that's part, that's part of it, right? Is, is, is putting our swords down, right? It's one yeah. of the things we talk about yeah. a little bit, right? Cause we were always battling, right? We're like taught to be these warriors. So saying, Hey, you know what? I'm going to have some humility and I'm going to actually listen, right? And I'm, and I'm not going to think I know it all. And I can actually relate to you and your experiences. I can have empathy. It's, it's, it's beautiful for both sides, right? And, and I want to acknowledge also, I don't want to go to most of my men's meetings. <laughs> like, I, I have that same feeling quite often. Like most of them, I was like, I don't want to go to this. I don't want to. And yet I right. always 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 feel better at the end it's like going to the gym right like we have a thousand and one <laughs> excuses to go in for i mean it's an emotional workout yeah. right i mean we talked about that you know it's crossfit for your emotions right we had we've had that term uh -huh. used for us a few times in some media new york times things like that and it's like yeah that's that's what it is and like yeah there's same way you like have all these excuses like oh, i can't get to the gym or I'm going to put it off. And it's like, there's so many, you know, it's, it can be a battle, right? But just showing up, 
to your point, to the group, that's, that's in itself. That's 90% of the work is literally just showing up. Just right? show, it's true. Just showing up. And, and, and I, I, you know, from again, men out there who are listening, who are contemplating, who are ready, who are hungry for this, or even curious, it took me years. Yeah, me too. For me to really find my place, to find, uh, and I've been through many, many, I did the Warrior, uh, the uh, Mankind yep. Project, the Warrior Weekend, and went through, so didn't quite find my home there. I love the work, but just was, so, I, you know, it took me years before I really found a home, and I'm in two men's groups now that I'm in love with, um, and they're very different uh, groups, so I just want to acknowledge that. Yeah. You look like you're about to say something. Well, I was just agreeing. Like, yeah, we all have our own sort of path. And by the way, kudos to you for being in two groups. I'm not sure I know anybody else who's in two groups. That's yeah. that's that's you're doubling down on the work, making up for lost time there. I kind of sometimes I feel like I'm cheating <laughs> yeah, on one group exactly. with the other. <laughs> it's it's intimate stuff we do. I feel you, man. It is, yeah. I, I've had similar experiences because I've had to opt out of my one group sometimes to do other groups. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. the exist, original group is sort of like, hey, you know. Yeah. Are we poly or what yeah, are we doing yeah. here? Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but, but they're different formats. They're different. They serve right. different needs or different. So I, I justify it by it's, it's, it's not a polyamorous relationship. They're two totally different experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for, for men, there's a thousand and one excuses to not do this and too busy, you know, you've got your business, you've got your family, you know, you know, you don't need it. You're, you're good. You've got your therapist, you're doing your, other practices, you know, and sure, I don't disagree that we're all busy and we all have reasons and maybe valid reasons that time is tight. And I would also say like, this is probably the most important investment you can make in yourself and in your relationships and in who you are in the world. Um, and it's real work and it takes time to find the right place and yeah, find the right place. It can be lots of different avenues. I'm so excited that this work is now proliferating beyond you know, just these sort of pockets of communities and groups, and it's becoming more of a mainstream thing. And, you know, our vision with every man is let's get millions of guys doing this work, right? Let's create, we're just yeah. launching an online platform, we're launching membership. We're at a point where we can scale this work to men all over the world, right? You know, we had, yeah, we yeah. had a group the other night, we had three guys from India in our group, right? Amazing, yeah. guys Amazing. from Australia, yeah. right? Guys in Germany, it's like, this is, this is universal language and this is an opportunity for men to come together and really heal and to take responsibility for all of the harm that we've created in the world and start to you know, redefine what it is to be a man so that you know, your, your boy or your girl and my girl and our, the men that are in our groups that have children and so many of them do can start to teach this language and this way of being a man to future generations, because that's really where the change is going to happen, right? Yeah. And it's our responsibility as our generation to do that. And I'm so inspired by like the millennials, right? Because we have a lot of guys that are these millennial and Gen Zs, you know, guys that are in their early 20s and late 20s and 30s, you know, to you and, our, to you and I's story, like we didn't get it until our mid 30s. These guys are in it right they're like straight out of yeah. college and they're jumping right in and they're like hey i want to learn this and i want to be this yeah. full spectrum human and it's awesome that you know to my 20s i was going to clubs and being a stoner and you know a thrill seeker and because that's the yeah. language and that's what i was being told was yeah. cool and what to do 
now we didn't have the we didn't have the internet i didn't have the internet right you couldn't find of, any of this stuff I, you couldn't find any of this i got out of the military at 26 i was so fucking lost in the world i yeah. didn't know what to do with myself there was no youtube there was no facebook there was barely email yeah so I, yeah i i i, I mean, but obviously the internet can go either way you right know? it can <laughs> be can be the source of evil and, yeah. the, and the source of <laughs> yeah. enlightenment right and like that we need to steer it towards there and i think you know, one of the things I believe in is we're moving into this next era of culture where we're, it's, we're moving into this conscious culture, right? So like the 60s and 70s was counterculture, the 80s and 90s was pop culture, the 2000s and the teens was internet culture, right? And now the internet is basically peaks, right? From like a day-to-day -day perspective, what more could we possibly need from the internet? Mm -hmm. We can order anything we want with one click. We can talk to somebody in video all over the world. You know, we can watch any type of content. We can consume any kind of community. Like what else do we need, right? So now it's like to, to this point of like, hey, let's use this from a source of good, right? And let's start to think about how we evolve ourselves, how we evolve our community, how we take care of yeah. each other, how we take care of the planet. And this type of work is fundamental because it's going to teach men to be not only consumed by success and greed and competition, but to be able to have empathy and compassion and you know, to be vulnerable and to think about things not only from a sense of self, but a sense of others, right? And this is hopefully part of the equation of how we you know, up-level as a society and as, a, yeah. as its humanity. Uh, Sasha, one last question, and then we'll wrap it up with our five key takeaways. Okay. So uh, this is the grand finale question. Woo. Yeah, this is the doozy. All right. What is the biggest challenge facing men today, and what wisdom can you offer in the face of it? Mm. Another question I don't think I've ever been asked before, so I appreciate your questions. These are great. Thank you. I mean, I think the biggest challenge is going back to what we've been talking about is this notion of you know, emotional intelligence being able to really articulate ourselves from an emotional language perspective um, and being able to do that in our relationships, in our work, you know, out in society, right? To, to question before of like doing it in the most intimate place, doing it in our day-to-day -day lives and, and, and taking it out into the world. And so I think, you know, we're seeing it now with everything that's going on in the world. Like, you know, men are still coming primarily from a place of, of competitiveness and fear, right? And I'm a competitive person, and I think there's a place for healthy com competition, right? Mm -hmm. Where we can elevate each other and we can inspire each other right. and support each other to, to, to be our greatest selves, right? And to live our truth and to be purposeful in who we are and what we do. And I think that comes when we can be honest and open with our emotions. So to me, that... that is the greatest challenge we have is, you know, is how do we learn this language as, as men and how do we articulate it in our day-to-day -day lives and then pass it on to our future generations um, and embody it, right? Embody that as, as a man. Yeah. Um, because then I think we can truly, you know, to your point before, collectively heal the world, you know, be a positive force in the world and live our, our truth. Um, and without, without that, that huge part of being human, you know, that emotional side, like we're just going to continue to spiral down into what we've been doing for, you know, since the beginning of time in many ways. Right. So that's our biggest challenge for sure. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. All right, man, we're going to wrap it up with All the right. five key takeaways finale. Key takeaway. Number one, 
key insight. What's the one key insight you would offer our listeners that you believe can make a meaningful impact on their lives because it has in yours? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question as well. I would say do something every day that scares you. Mm. Um, that's a, that's an, uh, a quote actually from Eleanor Roosevelt, who's an incredible human. If you haven't Wikipedia'd her or Googled her, worth checking her out. Important person in our in the history of our country and her husband was obviously an incredibly important figure as well. And I think, you know, just to what we were talking about, like taking this risk and doing something like this and, you know, saying the thing that maybe you don't want to say um, or doing something that makes you uncomfortable, right? Because in that edge and that discomfort is so much of how we really want to be and so much of what we can learn from. Um, and it's easy to be complacent and to stay in our comfort zone, right? Yeah. That's, there's, there's a, there is a innate human nature to do something, to do that, right? So yeah. breaking out of that and realizing like, hey, it's actually exciting to be challenged. It's exciting to get out of your comfort zone. And people will, will respond to you positively. Even if it's ugly or uncomfortable mm. or you make a mess of something, they're at least going to trust you more because they realize like, hey, you're taking a risk. Obviously you have to do it with a sense of responsibility. You can't do something that's gonna harm somebody, right. hurt somebody, or you can, but you have to face those repercussions. Yeah. But just being comfortable on a daily basis, building that muscle and that repetition of like, okay, I'm gonna do something. It could be something so small, you know, just like yeah. knocking on your neighbor's door and saying hi. I mean, maybe not so much right now, but <laughs> eventually when the, that time is right. Yeah. Um, or, you know, joining it joining a call for a men's group or, or apologize to your intimate partner. Exactly. Saying something to your partner <laughs> yeah. that you didn't want to say or telling your partner that, yeah. Hey, you know what? I'm really scared about yeah. if I'm going to make enough money in the next couple of months so yeah. that we're okay. It's so that you can let the pressure of that off and you can be in it together as opposed to, you know, yeah. being hiding behind something like that or performing in a way that she or he are probably already realizing isn't your truth. And they just were waiting for you to, to actually tell them yeah. how you really felt. Awesome. Yeah. Be mentor. Name another man that you've been inspired by, living or dead, that you'd recommend our listeners learn more about. You know, it's interesting. Can I say two quick? Sure. Can I make, if I make them real tight? Yeah. yeah. My, my sort of go-to mentor and the person I always looked up to growing up was actually Martin Luther King, MLK. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like it's such appropriate. Mm -hmm name and person to recognize in this moment. I mean, the wisdom and the, uh, the humanity that MLK represented in a very short period of time, he died, I believe it was 37 when he was shot mm. and you know, what he gave to the world. And if you look at where we are now, it's, it's, it's profound, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so much to, to, to see in his journey and where we are now and to go back to, because I think we need that type of, leadership. And there, I think it's all, I think we have a, a piece of him in all of us and connecting to that place right now in particular, yeah. I think is yeah. so important. And then Owen Marcus, who is one of the co-founders of every man who is our, we call him our sort of our Yoda. And he's mm -hmm. been doing men's work for 40 plus years, mm -hmm. written multiple books. He is just prof profoundly um, in, uh, astute to men's behavior from a scientific and psychological perspective from an emotional and embodiment perspective he really is the pinnacle of so much of what we're trying to do and kind of who i want to be i really appreciate how he shows up and 
he and I don't always get along sometimes and we butt heads and the way he, he articulates that for me and the way we deal with it, it's, it's, it's such a, um, a, a lesson for me and he mm-hmm. really embodies you know, so much of the work we're doing and who I want to be. So I just totally appreciate him in my life too. Excellent. Amazing. Great. Um, uh, number three, key resource, your most impactful, inspiring book, movie, or podcast of the last year. Oh, wow. There's a lot there. You only get one this time. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dude, don't, don't give me permission to do don't more push than it, one. Man. Don't push it, man. Don't push it. I'll just, the first thing that jumps out at me is I just listened to a podcast last, yesterday, um, 10% Happier, which is Dan Harris's podcast. Um, it's a great book if you haven't read the 10% Happier book. And um, Dan is a, is a friend of mine. He just did a podcast with the Dalai Lama. Huh. Um, so it's like, you know, the Dalai Lama, come on, you know, just uh-huh. be able to, to kind of hear his wisdom, particularly yeah. talking about COVID and the moment we're in, in, in you know, this sort of global um, rite of passage that we're going through. Um, he's just got so much knowledge. And then Dan Harris is really astute and a great interviewer and really breaks down what um what the Dalai Lama has to share so check that out for sure I'll definitely have to listen to that I actually I met the Dalai Lama in India at a Tibetan monastery uh he was um we were doing some my family and I we were doing some uh some uh fundraising work for a monastery in southern India and uh, for the Oracle of Tibet and the incredibly elaborate ceremony and the people at the Tibetans had come from all over to this this occasion and and uh, I remember we were going through the procession and, and meeting you know his holiness the Dalai Lama was sitting at the front of the temple and we were all going through and and I, I just remember thinking like what's what's this going to be like what's this going to be like what's going to happen and and what am I going to say what am I gonna... and I remember just finally being in front of him and we just kind of locked eyes and I froze I didn't say anything and smiled and that was it. And I was whisked away. And that was my moment. I was like, damn, I'm, I don't know what just happened, but I feel like I missed something <laughs> profound. It was like, you know, the expectation and the beautiful ultimate letdown. Yeah. <laughs> of, so perfect. It's perfection. So uh, I'll have to listen to that podcast. That'll be fun. Amazing. Okay. Uh, uh, number four, key investment in the last year, what's the best thing you spent money on? And let's say under $10,000. Mm-hmm. I love your questions, man. This is one that's so good. And it's been interesting because I've just mm-hmm. been reading a book about money and investment and thinking about it um, in a different way. It's all about under earners, which I kind of categorize myself as. So key investment. Uh, wow. That is a great question. And I'm like, wow, I don't even know what that is. It's it's funny, I don't spend money on a lot of things other than living, you know. Um, and it was, you know, mm-hmm. actually, we were going to go buy a car, and that would have probably been it because it would have obviously been something that would have given me some freedom to, to go out and live my life. And one of my oh, wife's amazing. clients gifted us a car, um, which was incredible. We didn't even know what to do, we, we, we had to receive, you know. The universe's gifts. So maybe you've invested in gas then, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, could, that could be it. Um, right. Wow, it's funny. Right. It's like interesting. I'm like looking around my house. I'm trying to think of like, what have I bought or what have we, con- what have we actually consumed that's been a, a great investment? And yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm going to say the relationship we built for these people to gift us and the karma we've 
you know, created for this, these amazing people to gift us an automobile. Okay. So we'll just go, we'll go with relationship. You've invested. We, the, the, the question is money, but money's just energy. Relationship. Yeah, I feel right. that. That's a good answer. Yeah, I'll, well, let's go with that one. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, last one, key practice. Um, and this might tie into mm. your first key insight. I don't know, but let's see. Let's see what's here. Please offer one consistent practice, spiritual, creative, personal, or relational that has served you well and that you challenge our listeners to take on for just the next seven days. Yeah, okay, for the next seven days. I mean, the easy thing would be say, you know, do the men's work, right? Go jump in on our website and go do, we have, we have these drop-in groups every day. So you could do it every day or you could do it every, you know, a couple of, mm -hmm. over the course of the week and do some journaling about it. And, share. and where, where, what's the, what's the actual website? Where could men find out about that? Sure. It's everyman.com. So it's E V R Y M A N. So one less E.com. Right, right. The second E is missing in every man, not missing. It's just not there. Not present. Yeah. We couldn't afford the URL. For the right ah, I get that. Yeah, that makes sense. That's funny. Yeah. I believe that. That's probably the actual truth, isn't it? That is the truth. I speak my truth, man. That's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, good. It's all these days whether you can get the website. If you can get the URL, you can call your company that name. If you can't, you need to find another name. It is definitely, a, it's one of the many deciding factors yeah. in your branding. Is can you get the Everyman.com. Everyman.com. Yeah, go okay. do that work. You know, give it a shot. Um, and if, if every man is, is the right fit, amazing. If not, there's other resources out there too. But yeah. I think doing that emotional fitness work is crucial as we talked about. So, it, you know, of course, meditation, yoga, all those other practices are great, but maybe this is something yeah. that's a little bit sort of newer and uh, maybe more challenging. Yeah. Okay. Excellent, man. Is there any other place online people can learn more about you that you'd want to send them to or what you're up to or... Um, I have a consultancy that I do a lot of okay. work with cool um, brands and companies and businesses that I'm um, fans of and that I've, you know, beat my former life with Flavor Pill, obviously in the cultural space. Um, and our, my consultancy is called Future Present. And so it's futurepresent.info. Got it. Speaking of URLs, you have to yep. go to the dot .info. Okay. Um, yep. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> to get that. <laughs> Understand. Um, yeah. yeah. And that's another place you can check me out and see kind of more of the corporate work that I do, the intersection of wellness and experiential um, and community um, and culture. Those, those are the things that I'm passionate about. So, Excellent. Sure. Uh, Sasha, this has been a fun and enlightening and, and fulfilling dive for me personally. So thank you so much for coming on Men This Way. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, Brian. I appreciate that. And I uh, look forward to connecting to you and supporting you and hopefully we can sit in a men's group virtually or maybe even in the real world uh, go to a retreat together at some point and get even deeper into who we are and what we want i would love that man be an honor awesome all right brother thank you yeah take care thanks so much Roy. thank you so much for listening and thank you again to sasha lewis find sasha on his two websites everyman.com and that's every remember e-v-r-y man.com and also his consulting business futurepresent.info of course these links and any other resources and sasha's sasha's five key takeaways will be in the show notes at brianreeves.com that's brian with a y reeves.com slash men this way podcast 
And if you have any interest in joining a men's group, and if you're a man, I strongly, strongly, strongly urge you to do so. Check out Sasha's website, everyman.com. And you should know that I've been considering creating more programs for men that I would personally facilitate, both online and in person in the form of workshops and retreats in epic nature locations. So if you're ready to step more fully into your own personal growth experience and path, then please email me at brian at brianreeves.com and let me know. The adventure you're looking for may be closer than you think. And actually, although we're taking off this pandemic summer of 2020, Next summer, in 2021, I'm co-hosting a week-long men's retreat in the ancient Viking lands of Norway. This is one of the most fun things I've ever done as an adult. So uh, if that intrigues you even a little bit, email me again at brian at brianreeves.com and I'll tell you all about it. Finally, if you were served by this, please write a review on your podcast app. Your words genuinely make a difference. And it would certainly make my heart dance to see your supportive words show up in the reviews for this podcast. Your words really do matter to people when they're considering whether or not to listen to a podcast. So I really appreciate it in advance. And don't forget to subscribe yourself while you're at it. I'm your thriving life and relationship coach, Brian Reeves, Brian with a Y Reeves. Until soon, Keep your head up, your breath relaxed, and your thoughts inspired.